Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, delighted to be joined by Connor Sheridan, the founder and CEO of Nori, also the co-founder of Mad Egg. Connor, you're welcome to the show. Thanks, Rio. Great to be here. Yeah, delighted to have you, man. Um, typical fashion of the show is we spend the first couple of minutes getting to know the guests, then we jump into our other areas. No different with you. Uh, you grew up in Castle Knock, if I've done my research correct, and basing that off where you went to secondary school. What was life like growing up in Castlenock? Any favorite standard memories, hobbies you like to enjoy? Um, yeah, it was great, great place to grow up. Um, it was a lot smaller than it is now, I suppose. Uh, so it was kind of on a small road there. It was pretty tight knit. Everybody was kind of the same age growing up. It was the height of the Chicago Bulls fever. So everybody was running around basketballs inside the streets with their basketball jerseys and whatnot. So I know it was cool, very cool. And um, still very close to to a lot of people that grew up there. With. Very cool, yeah. Very very close to Phoenix Park as well, which is a beautiful place to go for a walk. Yeah. Um, strangely enough, where I live out in Rotos, uh, and when my parents moved out here, there was no shops, so they had to go to Super Queen and Kazanok, which was the nearest shop. So, yeah. been many times. Um, when you were younger, I'm curious to know. You mentioned Chicago Bulls, but was being a professional sports player, something you wanted to be, or did you have your sights set on something else? I guess the real question is, what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, um, I wasn't in any kind of nick or height to be a professional sports player, so that wasn't going to happen. Uh, big into sports, so obviously played played everything growing up, from basketball to, to rugby to football to cricket to anything, right? Anything to get my hands on. Um, what did I want to be growing up? I don't know, really. Uh, I... I wanted to be a lot of different things as a kid. I wanted to be from a journalist to originally to be a lawyer to 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 want to start my own businesses to do different things. I used to be quite sporadic or a, a little bit like ADHD, if you want to put it that way, in terms of what I want to do, just chase things for a little bit, not do it, chase other things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I was what had, what had you choose economics? Because I know you did that in DCU and then you went on to do a master's over in London as well. Yeah. Um, it's just something that really kind of uh, interested me and, and resonated with me when I, when I was doing secondary school. I found it quite like explainable, right? It, it could explain if um, when you're working on a theory or particularly the microeconomics that was quite quantitative, it was just something I found, I found easier. Um, I had an interest in finance as well. So like I think I grew up in Ireland in what was the Celtic Tiger, right? So for all the negatives, you, you would have seen all the, all the kind of uh, press clippings or all the stories of people who worked in finance or corporate finance or stuff like that. So it was just something that I was like, look, this is a seems to be a good career path because I think growing up it was like very much your your parents. Like it's the same now with parents' job was get the degree, get into something solid. If it was accounting, if it was finance, if it was consulting or whatever you could get into, and it was the most attractive of like the kind of things that were in my eye line because I suppose when I was going into college, entrepreneurship wasn't even a conversation, right? So it was. Mm do well make sure you get into one of these lanes and you're set for life type situation so it was the one that kind of was yeah, it was the most attractive for me to, to lean towards at an early age gotcha gotcha talking about early age question i like to ask guests is around 
impact and influence. What I mean by that is people can usually point to a small handful of people, close friends, family members, teachers, uh, who had a massive impact on them in their early years. I think teenage Connor, or even younger than that, that helped them shape the person they've become today. Does anyone spring to mind for you? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely be my parents, right? Um, mm. I think uh, my mom, on one side, been able to kind of maybe control my uh, emotions, if you will. So she was like a psychologist. Uh, she was also like she worked with some some disadvantaged people and, and people who, who were born with learning difficulties. Um, and I was a bit all over the place as a kid as well. So I'd get into a bit of trouble or or just a bit a bit messy and actually teaching you. Uh, how to just stay balanced, which I think has been really beneficial for me now. Like when you when you when you're bouncing between startup um, issues or, or trying to scale a business and going through the pressures of it, to be able to kind of center yourself is super important, and it's not always easy. And I always lean, always look back at um, her for that, right, and, and have a lot of gratitude for that. And then my dad, for sure, he was an entrepreneur as well uh, himself, so that's kind of the first kind of taste I would have got for that. So. He went out in 80s Ireland to set up his own business when interest rates were huge, inflation was huge and not a big background of it, made a good success of it in his own right and was inspirational for me. So he's definitely been um, what I lean to, right? If, if I have mm. an issue or if I have something that I haven't faced before and I want that kind of coach in the corner, he's definitely been the person that I would lean to. So to both those people, for sure. Sweet. Um, you... I'd like to rewind the clock, actually, to the year 2014. You spent eight months at Accenture. Uh, and then after that, you spent a little longer at Davey as a fund manager. Um, you can pick either of those two roles. But in Accenture, for the audience, you were focused on building out large-scale strategy roadmaps. Um, a fund manager at Davey. Was there anything during your time, again, pick either one of those, that uh, while you were at either one of those, you felt you did well that you got right and you took a, a lesson from you learned yeah i guess if i was to rephrase that it would be if you were to pick one of those two companies you worked at is there anything any lessons learned you took from them that you were like you were glad you got them before you decided to grow by yourself yeah for sure um positives uh would have been from from the investment side definitely around a better proficiency with numbers in terms of understanding like IOR, like your return on investments. So like it's going to be return on time or return on capital, like being able to structure an investment opportunity, but have to structure a business opportunity before you do it. Uh, super mm. beneficial because like a lot of the time you can have, you'll probably be similar yourself, some cracking ideas in here, right? Or on paper. And then when you start to put it down um, tactically and see like, if I spend X number of years of my life doing this, what's the potential upside or, or what could I do here? And it slowly falls away to not so interesting anymore because the probably the ROI isn't there. So definitely that. And um, from the investment side, from the consulting side, yeah, I suppose it teaches teaches you some good soft skills around dealing with people, right? Because you're you're constantly trying to deal with people in a difficult situation. If it's a big change, like if it's a an MA or if it's a whole new strategy or a whole new roadmap or, or a digital change, people are uncomfortable, they're on edge. So that kind of situation so some good soft and hard skills from both it also led me to to realize that it wasn't for me as well right and that i, that I really wanted to do something myself so it was kind of from that point and i i do want to get into that although i noticed a role on your linkedin page uh fat concepts group which invests in early stage startups the question i have is around blind spots so there's these 
commonly known 13 blind spots that can hold back an otherwise healthy business. Things like not properly onboarding people, uh, not creating a culture of accountability, not focusing on lead generation, hiring as a blind spot, failing to tie corporate goals to personal goals. So with that in mind, is there, and focusing on the fact that you invest in early stage startups, is there one or two things you see in today's early stage startups that uh, one or two blind spots you see in today's early stage startups that they often overlook that if they didn't overlook would not uh, their growth would be two, three, four, five X what it is today. Um, yeah, for sure. Like people I would speak to would be super early. So you're probably talking like pre-seeds. Uh, so mm. like very much like um, pre-commercialization, if you want to put it that way. Um, yeah. Being able to clearly identify and communicate their value proposition is, is a difficult one. Um, why people should buy from them, go to them, what, what, why they're so much better at 10x or an order of magnitude better than, than what's out there in the market um, isn't so clear. And if someone, it's not easy, it seems easy, right? But it's not the easiest thing to put it into uh, 10 words, right? Or something like that to be able to clearly communicate it uh, is definitely one. Uh, because if you can't do that to an investor, you can't do that to a potential customer, right? Um, is one. And then, yeah, I think uh, if, you, if you really want to validate the problem you're trying to solve quite early, I think people jump straight into a solution before they get really into the root of a problem. So they think that something is solving a problem that might not be as hair on fire as they think it is, right? Because there's so much competition in all the markets now and so much competition for attention, whether you're doing a podcast, you're doing a business, you've got a SaaS product, you've got something else. You need to do something that uh, is going to catch people's attention for, for a reason that we talked about ROI for something like that, right? They need to get a benefit that's beyond what everyone else is doing. So those two things, I think for me, for a really early stage, obviously it'd be different as you go up the, the growth chain, but I wouldn't be um, dealing with people like that. Today, you're the CEO and founder of Nori. I hope I pronounced that right, but rather than me attempt the 30 or 60 second commercial, you'll do a better job because you're the CEO. So the mic is yours, Connor. Yeah, so Nori is the first uh, truly intelligent operating system for restaurants. Um, so... What I mean by truly intelligent, what I mean by operating system in a practical sense is we've built a full restaurant management product that helps businesses manage their whole workforce, HR, uh, all the way down through payroll, and then from like a product management, so inventory, ordering, stock management, um, and accounts payable. And why it's intelligent, it's the whole platform is built on top of our own proprietary artificial intelligence engine. So what that means is we plug into a business, we learn about everything that's going on in the business, and we're then able to say, hey, we know it's going to happen from a demand point of view. We're able to create schedules with you or for you. We're able to create your orders, send them to your vendors. We're able to create prep lists for chefs. We're able to automate with computer vision, all of your stock counting. So basically just making sure that decisions are consistent on a performance point of view and saving people book a loads of time. So things that would take a bunch of different managers in a restaurant or in multiple restaurants, 20 to 30 hours a week can be done in minutes. And the decisions around decisions on these two areas, which mostly impact businesses profitability are always going to be data focused, data centric and on point. Right. So it's a, mm. I don't know if you've ever worked in a restaurant setting, it can be like walk the minute you walk in the front door, it can feel like getting punched in the face. Right. Because there's so much stuff yeah. going on. There's like issues there's customer, obviously your customer facing all the time. Um, there's just a bunch of different things. So we're just trying to create something that can help people just get through the day a lot, a lot more cleanly and just perform a lot more consistently. And to help me with my next question, so the audience understand, Mad Egg, what's Mad Egg? Yeah. Uh, Mad Egg is a free-range uh, chicken, a fried chicken concept that we set up in 2018, Dublin. So 
it's a fast casual restaurant so the idea is it's like taking farm to fork uh chicken or fried chicken in a in a, in a pretty low price point setting so when we set it up, I think we were one of the first guys, but the first guys to do it. So I think there's a bunch of other fried chicken sandwich chains or, or restaurants that people would know now. But the idea was, um, yeah, just bring really quality protein or, or cut of meat, uh, do it in a pretty slick process. So we took like the 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 kind of Nashville style or Tennessee style over over in the southern states of the US around like how they tea brine and for like 36, 48 hours. And then just kind of amalgamated that with some with some really good local uh, produce we partnered with a bunch of bakers a bunch of farmers and things like that just to try and deliver uh, tasty and a cool product at like a good price point so everything sub 10 euros I, I i can vouch for it i've been once or twice and, and I'm, I'm a big fan um and it's a it's a strange relationship ours people have with with a fried chicken for some reason i don't know why but I'm, I'm i'm gonna make an assumption here and please correct me if i'm wrong that the idea of nori came into your head from having run and set up Mad Egg. Mad Egg in the hospitality setting that it's in is a complete, you know, 180 degree turn from your role in sales or as a fund manager. Was it one of the, was it an idea in your head that you just wanted to scratch? Like what got you into that hospitality industry? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I always had a huge interest in it and worked in it growing up. And um, it was a space, I think, like when I was working in those other jobs, uh, or in, in fund management and investments, I was looking at my exit avenues, looking at what I could do, what I could do with my budget, what I could do with my skill set, what I could do quickly because I wanted to leave. It ended up being about a year of kind of idea generation, kind of landed on, I landed on uh, that space. So something I come across in terms of a restaurant concept across states, across um, some other countries. And I thought it was done really well. I thought it was done quite poorly in Ireland. I thought like, Chicken's obviously most sold protein, uh, huge demand for it, but most of the places in Aftertart, it's not great. So that was the early foray. And then there was the trouble of, I've never opened a restaurant before, so what the hell do we do now, right? So that was most of the yeah. time um, in terms of trying to meet, uh, upskill and learn. So I would have met like 50 to 60 different operators around Dublin City, learn from them what they did well, what they didn't do well. Also try and see if any of them wanted to partner up. Then she partnered up with my co-founder, Stephen, who had had a bunch of other restaurants in the city and we kind of went after it from that point. So. We, um, yeah, look, I think like the idea for me at the time was this is attainable, it's achievable. It's like uh, when I looked at, I had some other ideas, like I think it was an early version of like Buy Me which is, or Gorillas or, or these type of guys at Get Air over in, over in London in terms of the, the quick grocery. This is in 2016, 17, some stuff around like uh, housing platforms and things like that. But it just felt like it wasn't attainable at the time, number one, for capital, but number two, because I couldn't really build it myself right in terms of like the the the, the textile of the product so this felt like something that was a little, a little bit more tangible which is why i went that route and i felt like it was if done well it could be a good cash flow generating business to then try and go after something else as well so shout out to devin hughes from by me great guy yeah. um i have founders and ceos on from a variety of different industries on this podcast but a topic that comes up usually is around retention because trying to compete with the big guys is, is, is not easy. Um, but I'd like to go back a further step in, in that kind of sequence, not retention. It's actually finding the talent uh, or finding the right people. Uh, you wrote a blog on five ways, and I'm reading my screen. If you see my eyes go to the right, uh, on five ways to become the employer of choice. The five are be mission driven, create a clear path for career progression, offer a market leading compensation package, champion your champions, and don't overcomplicate it. In your own words, can you summarize what you mean when you say 
champion your champions? I think in any business, if it's a restaurant business uh, or anything, right? So for Nori as well, your people are your big, your greatest asset, right? So you need to champion champions. Like you need to be able to look at the people who are there working with you because in this market, they could work for, if you've got great people, they could work for anyone, anywhere, probably in the world at this stage, particularly remote work. And they're there helping you or helping the business achieve its its, its, its mission, right? So you need to put them front and center and show them recognition and gratitude and particularly the people who, who are there day in, day out. So I think it's, that's what you mean from it. Mm. And I'll, I'll leave a link to that blog, your LinkedIn and both company, Nori and Mad Egg's websites below, whether you're listening or watching to this. Um, growth. You're, you're obviously focusing growth over the next... Yeah. Well, I want to focus on the next, let's say, 12 to 18 months. Um, I, I noticed a recent partnership with Square. So the question is, what are some of the things you're focused on to achieve growth over the next 12 to 18 months? One, the partnership. Is there an element of upselling within current accounts you're involved in, prospecting into net new accounts, expanding into new markets? Just give me a brief overview of how you plan to achieve continued growth. Yeah, so I think with Nori, um, over the next 18 months, there's going to be two two key geographies that we're after. So our prime market's the UK, and we've got a, a pretty extensive wait list in there. So we've had a lot of inbound, a lot of traction in terms of people looking at what we're doing, which has been great. So we're, we're working through our list to onboard them continuously. We're obviously trying to keep that list going in terms of growth. So we're... We're looking to grow massively over the next 12 months across the UK, and then we'll be looking to enter into states into Q1, probably 2023, and that's that's nice. the route that we're looking to take. Um, I think like we've got a product that no one else has. I don't want to go too much into a sales pitchy on, on this thing, but I think we're doing something uh, very different than something that's really going to benefit thousands and thousands of operators. So there should be big growth in the cards, assuming that we, we continue to execute the way we know we can. Awesome. Well, I wish you continued success with that. A question I ask sometimes guests is around one tool they can't live without. I'm guessing your answer is going to be Nori. It has to be, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, hiring. Uh, I noticed yeah. both on Mad Egg and Nori, you announced roles over the last number of weeks or months, uh, developers on the Nori side and a GM. You announced a, a new hire and operations director or manager as well. Um, <clears throat> so the question I have is, there's a, there's, a, there's a well-known article on Harvard Business Review around hiring. The cost of a bad hire is five times their annual salary of you know missed opportunity, depending on the role. So when it comes to hiring, do you have a specific approach or are you 100% good feel? No, a specific approach, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. I think like it's probably difficult. In this market, if you look at it, it's funny, like, as I have a lens into about like, um, what's going on in the restaurant, the hospitality side, and then what's going on in the on the tech side and both markets have never been as tight, right? I've never been as competitive to try and, mm. to try and get people for different reasons. Um, but I think like your process is so important. So we take a pretty, we take a pretty structured approach to it. So if it's going to be a view on how we, how we assess if somebody say, like if you just take Nori's in, interview process or hiring process, so it'd be like a three stage process, for example, always the same. So you'd have a view on, everyone on the team is pretty aligned with our mission and our values and what we're trying to do and the type of people that we are, the principles of how we work. And we tried to assess that initially from more of a qualitative uh, conversation, right? To see if someone's a good fit, obviously get an understanding of their background, how they've worked. When you're working in a team that's very fast paced and you're building and shipping a lot, we're shipping product every day, something goes out, something new. So it's quite, it's, it's quite fast paced just to see if that fit's going to be there from their personality, but how they like to work. 
and then like there's a bit of an assessment in terms of can they fit into the type of work we're doing so it's quite a technical assessment if someone's going to do that right um from, from our side to them but then to flip the coin to them to allow them to assess us right they need to go through and question what we're trying to do our opportunity so just it's quite structured for us and then they have a chance to do a round robin with anyone they want in the company to understand if we are who we say we are if the culture is what we say it is if, if the opportunities are what we say it is just so the fits right all around that's become more difficult to try and do in about a 10-day period now because everyone's got a million offers right so it's 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 tough to stay as as process driven as that but i think it's important because as you just said if you're if, if you're just taking on people that aren't the right fit it's not good for it's not good for anyone it's not good for the prospective mm-hmm. candidate and it's not good for the company agreed two final questions for you connor um is there a skill that you can identify that you weren't so great at in your early days you can go back as far as your, your tech sales role uh, but you knew was crucial to improve on if you were going to uh, succeed as a leader? Um, communication would be one, right? And being able to clearly communicate uh, and not being nervous to communicate. Sometimes the, the difficult conversations are avoided because uh, they're difficult, right? And nobody likes to have an awkward conversation. Right? I think sometimes that has gotten a bit better at just to be a bit more transparent. Um, on that side and then um, probably persistence right I think there's a lot of things I look back on my previous roles that I gave up quite easily and things or didn't do as well as I could have um, which I don't think you just don't have an option to do that when you're when you're when you're in a CEO role. Mm. Final question for you if you were the decision maker to add a mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum what would it be and why? Um, personal finance management 100 percent and it's a bunch of bunch of times so i just think like it's all well and good to know corporate accounting and management accounting and things like that but you need to be able to run a, a personal balance sheet a personal profit and loss and understand how you, where you can put your money when you're in college if you're earning a part-time job you should be if you're setting up pensions if you're setting up in, in passive investment funds just to show people the benefit of five ten percent of their income every year over 30 40 years will, will make them a millionaire right and then you're then everybody's retiring a lot happier and a lot, and a lot more a lot safer right so definitely that Interesting. Connor, it's been it's been a pleasure spending the last 30 minutes with you, getting to know you. I'll leave links to the article we referenced earlier on, both company websites and your LinkedIn page if anyone wants to connect with you. But for today, thanks for being my guest and I wish you continued success and hope you break North America. Likewise, Dave. Uh, keep going with the podcast. Great stuff. Beautiful morning. Beautiful morning, baby.